Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Father, we give you thanks for your word this morning. Truly, I'm asking, Father, for you to bring an alertness to our people that are here this morning. I'm asking that they not doze off, that they don't get distracted, that they actually will tune in, as it were, to what the Holy Spirit's trying to say to us this morning as we continue looking at what faith looks like and what you really expect of us. Father, I give you praise because you, again, are not a man that you should lie. Your words in this book, I mean, this is the owner's handbook. This is the owner's handbook. This is the instruction book to life and life more abundantly. And Father, with everything that's within me, I want our hearts, I want the hearts of our people actually receive the revelation that this is not the word of men. This is the word of the living God, the one who created the heavens and the earth. This is God speaking. This is God speaking. This is God speaking to us, each and every one of us. This is God speaking to us. Holy Spirit, you ordain with the Godhead to take the words, the instructions, the wisdom of Almighty God and put it in 66 books and put it in this one volume so that we could learn from it, read from it, oh my God, live from it, so that we might become who you've called us to become. Jesus, you paid an incredible price for us to have this word today. You have paid an incredible price for us to walk in the way of the living. And I want to give you thanks for it, Father, that we will be a prepared people in the days that are to come, that we will not be caught off guard. We will not be caught asleep in Jesus' name, that we will be above and not beneath, above and not beneath, Father, in the name of the Lord. So, Father, please take these few words this morning, and again, in Jesus' name, help us really consider what this is all about in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. I want you to turn back to Romans 4, if you would. I'm teaching on some of the basics of faith, but I'm teaching from another, hopefully from a different angle. But again, as I just prayed, uh, you know, we're family, okay? We're here. I I really, oh, you know, God help me. Um, this book is an instruction book. Amen. Amen? I mean it is. I am praying that you will believe along with me that our Heavenly Father is good, like he said he is, that the only thing he's planned, he's he's planned, the only thing he's planned for you and I is good. The only thing. He did not say there wouldn't be rough times. We all know that. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But then again, it is funny when you think about that verse, even after all these years, it still makes me laugh a little bit. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. And he thanks a lot. You know, you're going to have tribulation, but he said, but be of good cheer. I really have. I mean, I really have overcome the world of the power to harm you. Do you believe that? Now, wait a second. Do you believe that? Yes. You're lying. <laughs> no. 
If you actually believe that, then you'd notify your faces and you'd really notify the way you respond and react to the things that happen along the way of life. We have tribulation. We have trials. We have testings. But again, the Word of God tells us in advance that those are going to be, that's just part of the journey. And it has nothing to do with whether or not our God is faithful. I said it has nothing to do with whether or not our God is faithful. The earth is still under the curse because of man's fall. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us, but he didn't redeem the earth yet. So there's still that curse, as it were, in the earthly atmosphere. And yet he spoke to us and said, and this is why, again, it's wonderful in the Romans where it says that Remember that creation itself waits for the awakening of the children of God, that the bondage that they're still in right now, they might be delivered from. They might gain an entrance, that actually creation itself might gain an entrance into the sons of God. Hallelujah. Now there was a creation, oil, silver, gold, whatever's out there. It's waiting for we to wake up to the fact that we are sons of God. So God in this book has laid out this entire story from Genesis to Revelation about how throughout the Old Covenant, he just over and over again, you've heard me say it, I'll say it every Sunday, I can't help it. You know, he said, you walk before me, I'm giving you instructions, obey them, you will be blessed above all peoples of the earth. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about, about it. You will be blessed above all the peoples of the earth. Just follow my instructions. Just follow my instructions. I have never failed one man. I have never failed one woman. There is no people, no body, no individual that's ever walked upright before me that I did not bless anywhere. You cannot find anywhere in Scripture where he didn't. So this is a good book. It's full of promises. But again, like we started with last week when I shared a little bit about, you know, the, some of the basics of faith. We all know Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. We are saved, and remember that word saved, Schofield, Schofield's Bible, Schofield said, quote, that word salvation, sozo, is the all-inclusive word of Scripture. Because, again, it doesn't mean just saved. It means delivered. It means healed. It means uh, soundness of mind. And it means full peace. Something else. But anyhow, so all of that is wrapped up in the word salvation. So, But anyhow, for by grace are we saved. We're saved by the fact that God gave this gift called grace. You can't earn it. You, you don't deserve it. You're never going to work hard enough. That's why the law wasn't there to get you to, I knew that none of you could ever live according to the law. It was given to you to show the absolute extreme sinfulness of sin and what sin would produce. But I understood this. So I'm giving you salvation as a gift of grace. Grace is my gift to you. Undeserved, unmerited favor. Here it is. It's come in the person of my son, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. All you need to do is accept him in your heart, 
believe that he is my son, believe that he died for you, believe I've raised him from the dead, and you shall be eternally delivered from hell, death, and the grave. That's not a bad deal. Amen? So we're saved by grace, but through faith. And again, this is ultimately important in the, in the uh, things of Scripture and the things of Christianity. And, and most of you have heard this before, but like I said, we can't pretend. There are people, some people have never even heard the basics of this kind of teaching. But basically what we learn from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is this, that whatever grace is made available. Now, hopefully you'll agree with me that the scripture says that God has already given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Is that what it says? That's the scripture, right? God has already. In other words, you have to start, I say all the time with the lowest common denominator, you have to start with the basis of something that's truth. One plus, all mathematics is based upon one plus one equals two. All mathematics, no matter how deeply you get in, is based upon do you believe that first and foremost. Everything that grace is made available, faith must obtain. In other words, though grace made salvation available, let me ask you, is it God's will? First of all, let's start out with the basic. Is it God's will, according to Scripture, that all men be saved? Is it God's will? Does God want all men to be saved? Can we categorically agree that that's the truth? Does God want all people to be saved? Will all people be saved? Well, if it's, see here, well, so start right there. People still say, if it's God's will, it will come to pass. Well, see right there, we've totally annulled that lie. It's God's will that all men be saved. But all men will not be saved. Why? Because they won't move with faith towards Christ. They won't move with faith towards the grace that God made available and that he has already sent Jesus Christ, his son, to pay the penalty for our sins, right? Now, do you get that? I know it may be incredibly simple to some of you, but like I said, other people just you know, give, us, give people the benefit of the doubt. So God's will coming to pass... God's will coming to pass isn't the result of it just being God's will. Mankind has to respond with something called faith. He looks for faith. So it's kind of important that we understand what faith looks like. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Faith pleases him. Faith pleases him. And of course, the next part, as we know, it says, and he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Okay, let me start at the beginning of the verse. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And you have to believe he's a rewarder. God is not a cursor. God's not a dammer. God's a rewarder. Everything you read, I mean everything you read, particularly in New Covenant, but I mean even in the Old, but you have to have a revelation of covenants to rightly divide the Old Testament. But everything God has said has something to do with his desire to get you rewarded, 
gets you blessed. Everything. That's the only plan he has. Now there's a somebody else called Satan who has another plan. Jesus said the only thing he's come to do is to kill, is to destroy, is to steal and to destroy. That's, that's his job. That's his job. And we know that Hosea 4, 6, still in the Bible, that he, where God said categorically, my people are destroyed. My people, I don't want them, but my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge, right? They don't have the information that they need. But then in Isaiah 5, 13, he goes further than that, and he says, my people go into captivity without even realizing it because when my knowledge comes to them, they keep rejecting it. They honor me with their hearts, with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. So what I'm trying to get out to us is I want us to really make sure as we go further into this year, what God has in store for us, if we go further into this eon, this moment of God's, God's strategy in the earth about what's about to happen and all the stuff that's going on and politics and all the stuff that's going on. And oh my God, like I said, in America, the most heartbreaking stuff in the planet. I mean, it is inconceivable to me how intelligent people with doctorates and degrees from universities can say that it's okay to abort babies at full term at nine months, that they can take a baby that's nine months old and it's okay to kill it because the women still have the right to choice. And they say it's not illegal. It's actually legal. I mean, do you understand that's flat out murder in the first degree? I mean, but it's unspeakable. I mean, you we're in the 21st century. We're in the 21st century. Remember back in the 30s, late 30s, and 40s, nobody could have conceived that Adolf Hitler would have come up with the thoughts he came up with. No one would have conceived that there would be entire concentration camps where millions of innocent people would be burnt in ovens. I mean, you know, it's not in modern times. This can't happen in modern times. Well, it did. But see, we're in, this is our time, 21st century, and we are offering children on the altar of Chemosh. The same thing, that's how they worship Chemosh, and that's how they worship Malkoth. They brought these children and placed them into this palms of this brazen thing that was huge. They had hands the size of like a uh, like three times as big as this. I think I've shared it with you before. Anyhow, big old 40-foot bronze thingy with an empty thing as far as its stomach, a big hole, because that was an oven, and they put all this fire and wood in there, and they had this brazen serpent. It was all brazen hands would come up, and it created a big, like a, a cup, a big pan. And the way they would worship Chemosh and Malcolm was they'd bring children up, and they would walk out of this thing and place them in these hands. These babies would pop and snap like bacon and be fried to death. And screams and yelling, and they'd have all kinds of music around about and drums beating to kind of drown out some of the cries of the children. But I mean, Solomon even did that. The wisest man on planet Earth outside of Christ, he wound up because of marrying foreign wives. I mean, but here we are in the 21st century and with smiles in their face, in courts of law and in the Senate chambers of the United States of America, they're saying there's nothing wrong with aborting nine-month-old children. My mind can't go there. I mean, I, I, you know, I still, I read it. 
I can quote it, but some, um, I, I, this, whatever the part of me that whatever it is, I just, it's, I can't conceive that that's actually happening, but I know that it is. <sighs> and like I've said many times, see, I'm not trying to beat some doom drum. I'm really not, but I'm saying you have no comprehension, but I want you to have comprehension about what's just in front of us. There's stuff in front of us right now that is the, some of the most frightening aspects of consideration that the earth has ever seen. And there is going to be this great difference. Jesus said in these last days, he's going to divide between the sheep and the goats. It came up yesterday, the mandate thing. I mean, there's sheep and there's goats. And I'm going to tell you something. There's people that attend church and then there's Christ followers and there's a great difference. I said there's a great difference between people that come to church, even have membership in church, and people who are followers of Jesus Christ. So with all that bad stuff, though, see, God has not, his plan has not failed one iota. So you've got to walk this balance because hell wants you to keep your eyes on the bad stuff. Hell wants you to be so depressed about what's going on that you do nothing. But this is why God has to keep bringing us back over and over again. But God, but God, but God. Hallelujah. I want you blessed. I want you to make a difference. I want you to be a people above all peoples because it makes a difference out there. It's going to make a difference for those people, those baby killers and what have you out there. They need to see something different upon us as Christians. They need to see that we are different type of people. And I don't mean just people who go to church and sing songs. There's supposed to be something dynamically different about us. Is anybody hearing me? We're not supposed to just be people that walk in and could care. But see, this is why we have to have a brand. We, dear God, need to have a legitimate awakening because you can't continue to have no reverence for God and expect God to show himself big. You can't just walk in church every single, I'm sorry, you get mad. You can't walk in church every single Sunday. You know, once in a while late, that's one thing. Just come in when you lays off fair care to. It's up to, you know, I do it whenever I want to, whatever. No, I'm telling you, when it comes to God, there needs to be something about it. I don't care what other day there is, whatever issue there is. You know, if you make it to a birthday party in time, you can make it to God on time. I'm serious. It's that time in life. I said it is that time in life. Otherwise, quit exp- Quit praying these prayers, God bless this, or God do that, or God bring me this. Forget that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. No reverence for God. You know the word fear there means reverence. It doesn't mean to be afraid of. No reverence for God. You, you can expect very little from heaven. God is still serious about being God. He's got an attitude about being God. He is God. And like we shared a couple of weeks ago, like I said, I you know, boldly said this is all Robert Morris's message and I'll say it forever. But like I said, that it struck me so much that whole thing about God's first. God cannot be second. God can't be second. He's first. He's first. And he looks at our giving and he looks at all that because it's a serious business to him. First fruits. I, everything is mine. All I'm asking for is the first fruits. Everything is mine. I'm serious about this being mine. I am serious. Everything is mine. I'm just asking you to bring me 10%. Then the 90% will be redeemed. The 90% will be blessed. But I said, what's mine is mine. Don't steal from me and expect me to bless you. Just don't go there. Well, you see, that, it really hit me. It's not that I haven't been a tither, but that whole thing about, you know, how I would often 
you know, I'd pay my bills first because that's what just made sense because I knew best God, I better pay my bills because I'll get a bad letter. How dumb when you actually look at that. It's so embarrassing. You know, you, you're, I was ashamed of myself. I said, my God. I mean, I know the Bible a little bit. I mean, I know it much, but I know the Bible a little bit. I've walked with God for these 37 years now, something like that, and I've walked with his word. And to not know that, to not really, really, I mean, you don't know something unless you act on it. You know, you can say you believe a scripture, but like God told me all those years ago, the only scripture you believe is the one you act on. So you can say you believe this, but you don't believe it if you don't do it. You've got to be doers of it. So I'm saying in all these areas, and like he said, like more subtle, the reason it's, that's why tithing is you don't wait until you see what you got. That's why, see, real tithing, real living for God demands faith because faith means you believe before anything else is available. Faith, real faith means I'm believing God before I see any reason to, any reason to. I don't need to see evidence my faith is my evidence. And that's what everything is critically coming down to afresh right now. So now back in Romans 4, I'm going to read the verses. I tried to go through the Romans 4.13, Amplified Bible. I'll read it and then I'll comment real quick and then we'll go to some other ones that we didn't read last week. But verse 13, I, what we're talking about now here is promises. Everybody say promises. God has given promises, but the way promises are actually inherited is through something called faith. Right? Right? Right. So if you don't, I don't care how many promises you can quote, if you don't know how to release faith towards them, and that's where, again, the basics of understanding the heart and the mouth, because faith is located in the heart and faith is located in the mouth, and those two working together are the only things that God's instruction book says will cause the promises to be made manifest. But again, Romans 4.13, Paul said, For the promise to Abraham or his posterity that he should inherit the worlds. So God said, Abraham, you're going to inherit the world. It did not come through observing commands of the law. In other words, it did not come through works. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't work hard enough for it. But it says, but through the righteousness of faith. Now remember last week, but again, I don't, Righteousness means what? That which has right standing with God. In other words, that which is the, God's way of doing it. This is God's way. It's, the way. it's what has right standing with him. That's what righteousness means. This is what is good in God's books. I mean, put it in your own words. This is how God says it's supposed to be. This is how it works. The promise to Abraham, who's the father of our faith, the promise did not come to pass because of anything that he did. Promise, the promise came because of something called faith. So this is why he's, Paul is putting this out, and that's the whole Pauline epistle. That's the truth of all of it. He said, guys, understand, the promise comes through faith. Right standing with God does not come through works, has nothing to do with the law. The promises are inherited through something called faith. I'll just read down real quickly until we get to verse 16 again. I don't even know if I need to read those. It's, well, verse 14, if it is the, you know what? Just jump to verse 16. Therefore, verse 16, and the Amplified. Now, you've got to read this slow out loud about 15,000 times. Read it slow. Therefore, inheriting the promise, 
Now, name some, some things that God has promised. I mean, that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know there's a will of God. Remember I said earlier, is it God's will for all men to be saved? Yes. Will all, be, all men be saved? No. Well, just because it's the will of God means it's, that doesn't mean it's just going to happen. So you have to quit saying that. Well, if it's the will of God, that's not true. You have to move towards the will of God with this thing called faith. Okay? So, so, so what are some of the promises? What has God promised? Julie, tell me something God's promised. Perfect health. Amen. Okay. Go ahead, Sheila, quickly. What? Salvation for all of our household. Anybody else got any idea of something God's promised? What? Yeah. Amen. God's given promises. Now watch in verse 16. I just want to make sure we get some basics down before we get into bigger stuff in the next few weeks. Therefore, guys, CCF, beautiful people that you are, inheriting the promise, inheriting any promise, inheriting any promise, the promise, is the outcome of faith. It depends entirely, not on works. It depends entirely. Inheriting the promise depends entirely on faith, not mental comprehension. Faith is of the spirit. We're talking about a spiritual gift. We're talking about spirit, something. Romans again, 12, 3, God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. He's put this saving faith in each and every individual that lives to get saved. But then the promises come from another level of faith, which is what we're trying to get to. Therefore, inheriting a promise is the outcome of faith. It depends entirely on faith. Why? So you've got to see his plan. It depends entirely on faith in order that it might be given as, given as an act of grace. Like, wait, so you've got to read that several times. He said, I've made it like this, folks. I've made inherit the, inheriting the promise, any of my promises, I've made them work like this. I know that people were going to get caught up in trying to earn this, earn that, work for this, work for that. But no, I made it be only the outcome of faith so that it might be given as an act of grace. Why? So that it would be a stable truth, a stable law of the Spirit, that it might be valid and guaranteed to all the descendants on this earth. Not only to the devotees and adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, who is thus the father of us all. So first of all, just tell me that you, you saw that verse. Did you see that verse? Inheriting the promise is the outcome of what? What? Inheriting the promise depends entirely, entirely on what? Faith. Faith. Not how gifted you are. Not all talent, but anyway. Then he goes on to verse 17, and he says, again, as it is written, in other words, so he's, Paul, just bringing it up again. He said, the thing is, he said, guys, 
read, go back to the Torah, read what happened with our father Abraham, as it is written, as it is written. But see, this is really important because glory to God, we have what is written. So you, did you, did, you didn't even catch that. We have what is written today. We have the promises. I always think about Abraham. He's an old man. He's out in the desert. No trees, no nothing. And suddenly he hears this voice. I mean, think about it. He's an old man. And he starts hearing, and he hears this voice. Abraham, Abram, I have made you the father of many nations. I mean, you know, you think, what? You say, what? I mean, you know, think about really why faith was imputed to him because he, he heard something. But again, see, this, this is why the, he's the pattern. See, don't get caught up theologically trying to figure it out. Just understand that he's the pattern. That's why Romans ten seventeen still says today it's a, it works the same way. Faith comes by hearing what he said. But see, we're blessed because now in our day, we've got it written, what it was said. We don't have to hear a voice because the voice was written. So that's why we have no excuse in this dispensation. That's why we're far more accountable than any other people that have ever lived. That's why hell works overtime to get you distracted. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the glory, you know, the blah, 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 other things that are in there, they choke the word, they choke the word, they choke the word, they choke the word. Or persecution arises on the word's sake, and you say, forget that, man, this stuff's too tough, I'm going back to the world where I don't have to do anything. That's right, go out there and you will fail at some point. You may have a couple of years of glory, but bless God, in the day we live in, if you don't have Christ in your pocket, I don't have, maybe don't take that wrong way I said that, but I mean, if you don't have Christ as your brother, I'm telling you, you know, we, we are the generation that's going to see all hell break loose. Like I said, they're killing full-term babies. Back in the 40s, nobody would have, it was inconceivable that they were putting tens of thousands of people to death a day. Inconceivable. Shocked the troops when they came. You've seen, I watched some documentaries a couple of months ago, you know, the shock on these troops when they came to these concerts, they couldn't conceive. Some of these men were traumatized for the rest of their entire life, these soldiers that came back from World War II. They were traumatized for the rest of their life with the sights that they saw to actually believe that man's inhumanity to man could go to that degree. But that's why they keep saying, don't think it can't happen today. See, don't think it can't happen today. Don't think it can't happen today. Don't live in some la-la land stuff where you think everything's going to be fruit loops for the rest of your life. We're called. Like I said, I, I, I want you to be a follower of Christ, not just somebody that attends the church. I want you to understand purpose, like some of the things we're going to be sharing on this week is about, you know, really, Julie, God, the Holy Spirit gave you this statement about, you know, you know, pursuing, I mean, for, you know, preparation for purpose. I, I, this is why being rich. Can you, you know, who the, I heard, I don't know who said this years ago. The loneliest, listen, the loneliest, without a doubt. Are you listening? The loneliest 
the loneliest and most miserable people on the entire earth are the people that have become incredibly, overwhelmingly wealthy because they've discovered they've got all the wealth they could ever have. There's nothing beyond their reach to own as a thing, but they discovered it didn't fulfill them. So they don't know what else to do. I've got everything in the world once, but I'm not happy. They have no place to go. Well, they do, but they don't know. But that's what I mean, and it's true. They've proven this. I mean, they're the loneliest people on the earth when people that meet some of these incredibly wealthy people. In other words, guys, that money don't answer. It isn't going to cause your soul to rejoice like you think it is. This is why we got to understand we, you know, we need to have God so secure in our lives that we can have money in our lives so that the money doesn't have it. You don't get blessed through the money. You get blessed through God. But if you stay blessed with God, God will give you money because you'll know what to do with it. But the loneliest people, think about that on this earth, are the people that have anything and everything they could want. But because everybody's created in the likeness the image of God, the only thing that fulfills us, that fits this little void in us, is God, is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So verse 17 says, as it is written. And we have it written. God, he's quoting what God said to him. I have made you. Now watch it. Just so you know the verse, but really look at it. I have made you. Not I'm going to. I have made you the father of many nations says he was appointed our father in the sight of God whom he believed. God who does what? Who gives life to the dead and who speaks. This is how God speaks. And so you've got to accept that this is how God works. And you've got to accept that we're created in his likeness and image, that if we want God results, we need to be God-like. And God speaks of non-existent things as if they already existed. God speaks of non-existent things. Abram, I've made you the father of many nations. He had no children. He wasn't what God said he was. But God said what he was, and that's what empowered him to become what God said he was. It is written. And see, I've got stuff that's written that I'm not yet. But it's written that I am. It's written that I am. It's written that I am. I'm supposed to, you're supposed to, if we want to inherit the promises, guys, there's no way of getting around this. This is how he ordained it to function. The way he works, he speaks of things that don't exist, like they already existed. He said to Abram, you're the father of many nations. Abram, think about it. He's 90-some years old then. I mean, you know, like right now, you know, I don't know, like right now, I'll, 
Thus saith the Lord. The Lord says unto Isle, You will appear on every major West End stage. You will be the star of the West End stages. I'll, you will be on every major stage in the East Coast of the United States of America. Now, now she could say, wow, that's cool. But do you understand what it would take for her to start acting like that, thinking like that? To just, how do you receive that? Well, the only way you can is by faith. But this is, I, I, I got to be careful because now I jump back to the thing that I shared last week, this thing about, but can you believe God's that good? I'm telling you, that every scripture has to be interpreted through the revelation of the goodness of God. Do you believe God, can, do you believe God could be that good to you? That he could do that for you? Do you can you believe God's that good? That good? But here's Abram. God says, I've made you the father of many nations. He's already, he said, I've done this. I've made you the greatest star in all the West End. I'll. Made, I've made your guitar work to outshine anything that Jeff Beck ever did. Anything, you know. Well, I, I don't know. See, what, it, what for you, you know, I don't know. But think about what why God calls Abram the father of our faith. He believed what he heard without any evidence. I mean, without any evidence. And that's the thing I just want to concentrate on this morning. You've got to be delivered from the need of evidence. Let me just, let me just read here. Verse 18. Now, we all know these verses as far as the basics of faith teaching. But man, it's hit me so strongly. Verse 18, and now Paul gives us a little statement that he only can know by the Holy Spirit from God having revealed it to him. For Abraham, now watch this phrase. Really, really look at it. For Abraham, human reason for hope being gone. And the Lord had me parked there. Now, this is really deeply serious to me right now. I think I may mention a couple of weeks ago, one of my dearest, closest friends in all the earth has been now in a coma since February 13th. And um, they told his wife, my, uh, this is a couple that pastored in my hometown of Bakersfield. And uh, actually, Emmanuel's met Charles, Charles Lack. Um, I married them all those many, many years ago. They considered Julie and I to be their pastors. And they said his, you know, he has been without oxygen for too long, blah, 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 his brain, you know, like brain dead, and all that. But God will not release me. He will not release me from praying and from believing. And he's given, this, given me this particular prayer. I keep Father in the name of Jesus. I'm, I'm speaking resurrection to his body. I'm speaking resurrection to his brain. And I'm asking you to give him 10 more years of active life. I mean, and so anyhow, that's, so I'm praying that, you know, I'm going along. But I'm like anybody else, you know, they keep telling me back and forth, text me what said the doctors have said literally there's no hope now. I mean, he's just there and they've got him in a secure care home and 
But see, I know this man. I know the depth of his integrity. I know how godly this guy is. And, if you know, he's my age, but he, he's just not, it's not, he is not, it's illegal, in my opinion, for him to go home in this manner. So I thought, well, maybe I should just whatever, release it, forget it, whatever. But I don't know if it's the old time intercessor in me or what, but I, I just said, Father, you, you need to show me something. You need to give me a word. So like in, on Saturday or Friday, I'm just going through my, you know, my morning thing that I do all the time reading now. And I was in Luke, and I'm just reading, and of course, I just come up to this place, and suddenly, you know how when Scripture does explode afresh, you know, that classic verse, Jesus said, ask and keep on asking, and it will be given you. And I just went, Jesus, I had something just hit me in my spirit again. I put my finger on those words. I said, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this is your word. You said, ask. You said, ask and keep on asking. You said, ask and keep on asking, and it will be given you. This is what you said. Bless God, I'm going to keep on asking. I don't care what doctors or anybody else says. I'm not released. You, I asked you for something. You lead me right here. Ask and keep on asking. There shall be nothing impossible with God. No. Then I got to John 14. John 14, it said, Jesus said, Ask anything in my name and I will do it. So I said, Father, I have the authority of your written word. I have the authority that's in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It is nothing with you to raise a body up. We know it happens in Africa in these places. Well, bless God, like I said last week, it's time for somebody to get into impossible land. It's time for a lot of us to really understand if we believe this stuff, then we need to believe this stuff. If you go out, bless God, you better go out in faith. So then I came to this, like I said, human reason for hope is gone. So to me, I've got something to hold on to. You hear me? But see what I want to do. I just that's something where I'm at with my brother. But I, I want I want to talk about you. Do we, we don't really understand the depth of the power and the force of real faith. Now, again, in Luke 17 and Matthew 17, Jesus said, if you have faith, um, I, I want to make sure I say this. Jesus said, if you have faith, remember that classic verse, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto the sycamine tree, be thou plucked up and cast into the sea, and it shall obey you. And when you really look that up and, you're, and you honestly look at the word studies, it, 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 we often teach it as even just faith that small. But it really, this is something you have to accept. And this is why I'm trying to, I want to get you in gear as quickly as possible. Have I messed up or something? Whatever, sorry. But anyway, don't be distracted because I want you to catch this. Really, when it says this about a mustard seed, it'll say, actually in the Amplified, it'll say, if you have faith that is living, Faith that is living as a mustard seed. 
says, because behold, how small a mustard seed is, but how huge it grows to the point that the birds of the air can nest therein, all that. The point of the fact is, I want you to just catch this little thing as we go further. Faith, if it's living, it grows. So what you and I have to understand is, we all have the measure of faith. But guys, if you don't exercise it, it ain't going to grow. I said, if you don't exercise it. So my question today is, where are you exercising faith? Or are you one of those, I'm sorry, lazy, kickback, I'm just doing life, I'm existing until it's over. <laughs> you know, what a miserable way to live. I'm just trying to exhort you. You need every day of your life to intentionally be exercising your faith in some manner. You hear me? Yes. In some manner. Because it will grow. God's given us promise that your faith will grow. Well, see, that really convicted me years back because I thought, how many years have I wasted where that my faith could have been growing? But I wasn't really making a conscious effort to be in faith. I remember when, see, but I was blessed when I first got saved. Like I said, a Teen Challenge, this guy, Eddie Duncan, was my very first teacher. He started, you know, people would come in. We'd, they'd take us to Kenneth Copeland conferences and Anaheim Convention Center and stuff down there in Southern California. We'd hear these incredible testimonies and stuff. But Eddie would always bring it right back to now because we'd have guys, you know, classic young guys who've been saved three months and they hear about God will do this and do that and what he's done for other people that have been in the faith already for 50 years. And so you hear guys say, I'm going to believe God for five oil wells. Hallelujah, because if I get five oil wells, then I can give tons of money to the kingdom, you know. And Eddie would always go less. He'd say, whoa, 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 wait. He said, have any of you actually, actually have you ever actually released faith, say, for a pair of socks? Have you actually exercised this spiritual muscle, this law? Have you ever actually seriously, sorry, seriously, you and you alone, you haven't told anybody nothing. But you said, Father, because, you know, he delights. He is dad. He is Abba. He delights in showing you that he's not a liar. He delights in that. But he's waiting. Have you ever even just, Father, you know, knowing you didn't, I mean, I remember it to this day. I mean, I just took Eddie at his word and I thought about that and I went, you know what? So I just, whatever, I mean, I could have thought of something clever, but I thought socks is good enough. <laughs> and I said, Father, um, I mean, I got three pairs of socks. I guess that's okay. <laughs> remember, I just come out of heroin addiction, everything else and whatever. You don't know. I said, but, you know, I, I, because he's taught us, you release your faith with the words of your mouth, you know, the belief in your heart. But you got to start somewhere. Faith is something that's living. You got to get it working. You got to get the stuff together. And you have to, you know, you got to get it working. You have to mix faith with the message. We know the verses, but the word preached unto them did not profit them and that they did not mix faith with, that, with them, they didn't mix faith with them that heard it. In other words, when God's word comes, you still have to mix what you hear with something. Remember I did that illustration a long time ago. I think I said something to Matt. In the old days when he used to work on cars on the outside of cars, you know, he'd have dents and stuff like that. It's stuff called Bondo. 
you know what I mean? You, you, you knock the den out the best you can, but then you had, you bought this, I don't even remember what it's called anymore, but you get this little substance and you get this little tube of stuff and you put this tube in this stuff and squeeze it, but you had to work real fast then because if you didn't, that would become concrete in a, in a moment. Boom. You know what I'm talking about? I forget what it's called, but it, you had to mix this stuff, this compound by itself, nothing. This by itself, nothing. But you put them together, and I mean, it will do the job. And this is this whole thing. He keeps trying to tell us, guys, it's not just quoting the word. You have to understand what it means to intentionally release your faith in this written word. We have it written. Abraham had to trust in something that was spoken only. But see, all through Scripture, this is still the evidence. Paul said that which we have believed, therefore have we spoken. We have to see this is how it works. But I'm just saying you have to mix faith with what you know to be the will of God for the will of God to come to pass. Okay. So I released my faith for a pair of socks. It's so corny. I'm sitting in this little mail room at Teen Challenge, Riverside, California. Father, I, and I feel, I remember, because I'm not dumb-dumb, you know what I mean? I've got a little bit of intelligence. And I remember thinking how I felt silly about it. I felt, eh, it's this silly. But I, I'm just going to obey my teacher. So I, 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 I trust you. I'm asking, I ask you for a pair of socks. And I'm not going to tell anybody, anywhere, no how, no way. In fact, I'm asking you for two pair of socks I want one black pair and I want one navy pair. <laughs> and I believe I receive Jesus' name. That's the evidence, you know, I said, but you know, lo and behold, about three weeks later, um, I'm in the office. I was the assistant director of admissions in with Bill Humphreys, and I'm sitting in the office in there. And Greg Strange, he was the associate director. He just came in and he had a little box in his hand. He came up into the office and while he, his office is, he's there on the big boys on the top. And anyhow, he just walked through and he said, uh, he said, Rod, for some reason, he said, I don't know why, but he said, I, I was looking through my, uh, I went to the store. He said, I went to the store the other day to the mall, whatever like this. And I saw this and he said, for some reason, I, I don't know why. I had no idea, but he said, of all the people, he said, you came up with my thoughts. And I, I was just sitting there getting some underwear and getting a sock. And I thought I'd just buy you. Anyhow, so he said, here. And he gave me two pair of socks, one black pair and one navy pair. You know, no, 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 but I'm just going, I remember I went. <laughs> it didn't know, but you have to understand as teeny as that was, it blew my ever living young, brand new Christian mind. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm just exhorting you. It's really going to be tough for you to believe God for a brand new house. <laughs> If you haven't believed God for a brand new shoelace and seen him come through, I'm suggesting to you that you think of something ever so small. You start small. You don't, don't, but I'm just saying get your faith alive. Start releasing faith. Don't misunderstand me. Listen, in this hour, I thank God uh, what's happening on the earth. He, he will do so much more than we could dare ask or think. But I'm just saying, whatever the situation is, I'm telling you, when you pray alone, this is, well, I don't want to get off course here. 
When I first, you know, my, well, okay, when I first got saved and I came out of Teen Challenge and went to work at this church, and you've heard me say they hired me and way before this was normal. I mean, they salaried me as an intercessor. They hired me as an intercessor. And I didn't barely know what intercession was myself. I just, you know, in pr- charge of prayer for the church. And like I said, the church when I first came was about 1,500. And when I left, it was about 2,600. But anyhow, and so I took it real serious. And I learned, I mean, I didn't, I just learned all manner of things by all manner of mistakes that I made. But I slowly but surely, God was so faithful, he would show me things. And then, um, uh, well, he would, he would instruct me. But one of the things that happened to me, um, and this happened a few times, to say the least, by his incredible grace. But when you grow older in this stuff, and particularly in there is a prayer, you know, God will, he won't, he will prove you. He won't tempt you. James says he tempts no man, but he will prove you with things that are good to see if you, to see if you're going to listen, if you're going to be faithful. And he showed me once about a particular situation that came up to my, came into my understanding about prayer need, a prayer need that was in the church. And he had me pray. But he, gave, he, he actually told me, he said, I'm going to instruct you how to pray. A guy named Bill. I'm going, to instru- I'm going to instruct you on how to pray for Bill. But he had me pray in such a specific way, a way that I never would have just thought. Of. I mean, I, I prayed in such a specific way. And he had me pray for things so specifically to happen as far as one of the things dealt with his wife and they were having problems in their marriage and a rebellious uh, daughter as well. But he had me pray so specifically and he showed me that this would happen first and this would happen second. And there was one other thing that I cannot recall right now. But basically the thing that was remarkable to me was this. He said, I want you, to, you know, as a true intercessor, he said, I, you will speak this to no one else. No one else is to know how you pray. No one else is to know that you're even praying about this. But I gave myself to prayer about this. And it was about a <clears throat> three, four, four weeks, five weeks later. Basically, this, see, this is how personal God is. What I want, I'm not trying to get you to pat me or anybody else in the back. I want you to see how personal God will get with you if you'll lend your ear to him. This thing came, this prayer got answered so specifically, so exactly as I had prayed. It, well, like I said, I was just blown away because, but he said, I want you to understand how powerful this is. But he said, the, but the big issue now is he said, this is a huge lesson for you. You're going to have to understand. I will show you in the future specifically ways to pray. But he said, the moment you open your mouth and you begin to say about how your prayers changed something and your prayers did that, he said, I, I will not be able to use you again. But he said, but between me and you, I really want to show you that your prayers are the ones that made the difference. Your prayers. It happened like I had you pray. No one else was praying like that. In other words, again, he, he will show you, he will show you that your prayers are what changed something. 
And again, why does he do He'll do that because it just proves the authenticity of our relationship. Is what I'm trying to get you to see. But again, he brought things to my life early on like that. So it, I, he was putting me in a situation so my faith could grow. And again, that's what I'm trying to get here to. So let me get back to the scripture because I, I need to shut up. For Abraham, verse 18 again, look at it. Put up 18 in. For Abraham, human reason for hope being gone. Now again, everything that is written is for our admonition, it says. And really, the scripture, you can prove it by scripture. If it's happened once, it can happen again. Right? In fact, there are patterns, like I said. Everything I learned, Ed Cole, remember, everything God does, he does according to a pattern and based upon a principle. Does, according to this, does human reason for hope being gone negate God's ability to do something? So then, is it possibly true that you and I maybe need to become more like this? In other words... If all human reason for hope is gone, does that mean it's too late? Does it? It wasn't too late for Abram. It wasn't too late for Abram. I'm reading this to you because I want you to see the potential that's at your fingertips. I want you to recognize the potential of what your faith can ultimately produce. See, you've got to get delivered from thinking, well, that was Abram or that was Copeland or that was whatever, Henry Adderweiler or whatever. God is no respecter of persons. But that's why Luke 18, you know the, the, the whole thing in Luke 18 where it starts out and here, you know, there was an unjust judge. There was a widow woman who had a need and she came unto an unjust, you know, just, and she began to bad dream with her prayers, this, that, and the other. And the unjust judge, the unjust judge neither cared nor respected men nor feared God nor anything else. But he wound up saying, but she kept coming. She kept coming and she kept coming and she kept coming. And he said, you know what? It's not that I fear God. It's not that I fear anybody. He said, this woman, I'm going to get up and avenge her lest her continual coming drive me crazy or lest she rise up and strangle me. You know what I mean? That's what he says. And Jesus categorically says, listen to what the unjust judge says. And then he says, shall our just God, shall our just God not Rise up and come speedily to your prayer, basically, and immediately run to the cry of your prayer. But then he finishes that verse with this. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find persistence in faith on the earth? The whole issue wasn't about that. The issue is this. He said the issue is, is there anybody out here that has enough aggression to stay in faith when all human reason for hope is gone? I, I'm telling you, I don't want to live my life out only reading testimonies of others. 
Otherwise, I, I, don't, I, I will grow very weary of telling other people's stories. I want my own. I just do. I do. And it's available because God's not a man that he should lie. So I'm just trying to get us to this point today and as we go further. He's the, Abram's the father of our faith. In his case, just because all human reason for hope was gone. It was gone. That's, that was the fact. See, right? The fact was all human reason for hope was gone. That was the fact. But this is the seed turn it in our same situation. But he had a word. And see, today, we don't have to wait on a word in the desert from the sky. It's written. We have God's will written in a book. And it's the Father's good pleasure. It's the Father's good pleasure. It's the Father's good pleasure to give the kingdom unto us. Much less a healing. Much less, a, well, I don't know, transportation, a good job, a, a, a spouse. Oh, I'm telling you, I, I know, Julian, we know so many people, you know, they're fact that men and women, they long for the mate. And I'm not going to camp on this too long because we really would go and we'd get in a lot of trouble. But you know, the fact is, they, women and men, they'll get to the point where they either say, and it's not wrong, but they'll either say, you know what, I'm not even worried about it anymore. It's, it's not an issue. I'm cool. I love the Lord. I love God. That's cool. And you know, that, if that's a heart thing and they really sincerely have a peace, that's cool. That's great. That's cool. God will give them the greatest peace. They'll never have us. They'll never sweat or feel bad another day of their life. But there are some who say that because, quote, all human reason for hope has left them. You hear what I'm trying to say? In their hearts and minds, it's just never going to happen. And I'm just saying, I don't care what the issue is, we need to make sure that's not our hindrance. Human reason for hope has nothing to do with the size of our God that we say we serve. I said human reason for hope has nothing to do with it. Let me read these next verses and then we'll stop and I'll go later. So Abraham, human reason for hope being gone, he hoped in faith. And the King James says he hoped on. He continued to hope even when there was no reason to hope. Remember the word hope, E-L-P-I-S in the Greek, elpis. It means joyful expectation of the future. There was no joyful expectation of the future, but you know what? He continued to have a joyful expectation, even though there's no human reason. So hope, Abraham, human reason for hope being gone, he hoped in faith that he should become the father of many nations as he'd been promised. So numberless shall your descendants be. Verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered the utter impotence of his own body, which was as good as dead, because he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's dead and womb. Again, the King James actually says almost the opposite. Here in the Amplified, it says he did not weaken in faith when he considered. King James says he considered not his body. He did, he considered not his body. Either way you look at it, the thing is, think about what's being said again, and somehow you've got to put yourself into this picture if we're to really awaken afresh to what faith looks like. 
He, he had a choice. Do I keep looking at the fact that this is a hundred-year-old body and quite frankly it ceased to be with me in the way of a man that can produce a baby? Do I need to draw any pictures for you to figure that out? Thank you. You don't want that picture, do you? No. But think, he could have spent, you know, it was 12 years before he wound up having the child, remember? 12 years. 12 years he considered not his own body. 12 years. You and I can't even go 12 minutes. But for 12 years, he, he could have kept looking at the circumstances just like you can keep if you're looking at the circumstances that say no, you're not looking at the word that says yes. Right? Right? So you have a choice. Do I continue to consider the things that say no and allow them to speak louder to me? Or do I, or am I really in faith? Or have I, see, faith grows, like I said, and you have to start somewhere. But like I keep saying, just get started. But he said he didn't weaken in faith when he considered the utter impotence of his own body, which was as good as dead, or the impetus, or the or when he or consider the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Then verse twenty says, no unbelief or distrust made him waver. Waver. Amplified says, doubtingly began to question concerning the promise of God, right? No unbelief or distrust made him waver. And again, this is why you have to have aggression about you because I guarantee you things will come to make you waver, won't they? That's because we're in a world, hell does not want your faith to produce, God wants your faith to produce. Hell's job is to bring something that says no. No, it may work for somebody else, but it's not gonna be like that for you, I'm sorry. You're destined to just be like this. God has chosen you to be the one failure on all the planet. You know what I mean? You're so special. You are so special. God's going to use you like Pharaoh, and he's going to harden your heart, and you're just going to go to hell, so get over it. That's who you are. No, 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 no. No unbelief or distrust made him waver or doubtingly question the promise. What does Satan come to steal? Satan comes to steal the word. Mark 4, parable of the sower. Remember that? He doesn't come to steal you. He comes to steal the message that's been given to you. He comes to steal the promise that God's spoken to. Because if he can get that promise, well, how does he get the promise out of you? By saying it doesn't work. By saying it's not for you. But here we have the story who is the father of our faith, Abraham. And it says that no unbelief. And unbelief is literally the, the Greek word that's opposite Faith in the Greek is this word, P-I-S-T-I-S-T-E-O, pisteo. Unbelief is the same word with the letter A in front of it, a pisteo. Because a, anytime an A is in front of a word, it, it means the reversal. It means the total opposite. So I said, no unbelief. In other words, he, it, he had the choice. It could have got in there. Tell me. You tell me he was a man like anybody else. We saw the mistakes he made later on, everything with his wife, saying his wife wasn't his wife and all the other stuff he did. So he was human. But here I'm just saying, so if time, and I'm just saying, so this is why you've got to stay in the book, my friend. You've got to stay in the Bible, and you need to be a person of prayer because I guarantee you the doubt, the things that are going to cause doubt will come. But you have to learn how to just so quick, no, no, I, I, I reject it. I reject it. 
I don't care. Yes, I know human reason for hope is gone, I don't, but I'm not going to camp there. I've made my choice. I believe that what I've seen that is written is true for me. I believe. So that's where it is. So no unbelief or distrust made him waverly, waver, waverly, waver or doubt any question concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong. This is the part that I need. I, I should have got to earlier because, again, this is why, again, our music and our praise. Everybody say our music, my praise, my thanksgiving. We have this, un, this unmistakable key of Abram's life. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew, again, living. He grew strong and was empowered by his faith as he gave praise and glory to God. Father, I praise you. Your word is true. I don't care what my head telling me. I do not care what my body's telling me. Your word is true. You said it is written, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. I am on a sound and a sure foundation. It is written, this book, this truth has been working for people for thousands of years. Why would it stop now? Fully satisfied and assured that God was able and mighty to keep his word and to do what he'd promised. That is why his faith was credited to him as right standing with God. I'm still going to take up there probably next week. Father, I want to give you thanks right now for the truth of your word. I, I, want, to, I want to repeat that verse again. Heaven and earth will pass away. I mean heaven and earth. You said this. You said this. Heaven and earth will pass away. But your word, what you've spoken is eternal. That's what we've got to catch. If you've spoken, it's eternal. It's, it's deathless. It's everlasting. It's never going to change. You never change your word. You never change your word. If it comes out of your mouth, it's rock solid. It's there forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will never pass away. Father, I thank you that we have a faith within us right now that is living. And uh, forgive us, Father, if we have not been feeding it. Forgive us if we've not been exercising it. But Father, I'm praying for my people, like Jesus prayed for Peter, that their faith fail not, that they will rise up and be strengthened in God's word and Father's word and the truth of Jesus Christ, that they will rise up in strength, that they will begin to release faith, that they will begin to exercise this faith muscle thing, that they'll begin to let this living thing grow. And I believe you will expedite. We all talk about this being a season of acceleration. And I believe that you'll accelerate and cause this faith muscle to become bigger and huger and so much more powerful than we could ever believe because we are the generation that literally, I believe, will speak to mountains and see them change, see them cat. We will see trees rooted up. I mean, one prophet said for Jesus to abuse that example means it's going to have to happen. Literal mountains, there's going to have to be a literal mountain picked up and thrown in the sea. 
there's going to have to be a literal, literal trees that are going to be plucked up in the middle of the air and cast into the sea. And it's not going to be special effects. It's going to be your faith at work for people. So, Father, we thank you. We will not limit you. We really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 